Morning. So Louisa and I, we have a nephew named Isaac. And if you ask Isaac, he'll tell you he's nearly free. He's turning free very shortly. And uh, being a little boy, he loves cars, both the movie and all the little ones that you play with. He loves trucks, especially loves what he calls bin trucks, which we call dump trucks or rubbish trucks, bin trucks. And now his latest thing is he also likes aeroplanes. Because he's got his auntie, Zia Luisa, wrapped around his little 10 fingers, and because he's got his grandmother, his nonna, wrapped around everything, he has an impressive and growing fleet of cars and trucks and planes. And uh, he's put in his wish for his tree birthday that they buy him an airport. So... Apparently you can buy airports these days for three-year-olds. And if you go into his house, technically his mum and dad's house, he just lives there for free, bloody freeloader. Um, there are cars and trucks and planes everywhere. And I mean everywhere. And just when you thought that he couldn't pull out any more to play with, you know, Uncle Mark, Uncle Mark, grabs my hand. There's a secret stash of more cars and more trucks and more planes. And I'm telling you, walking through that house barefoot is a very, 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 very bad idea. You will trip, you will gouge your feet, you will break your toes on something. And I think, you know, if I was his mum and dad, I don't typically give parenting advice, but you know, if I was to, I would encourage them to develop some sort of checkout, check-in, checkout system that you can only take the new toy if you check in the old toy, but he doesn't quite have that concept down yet. It's just more about bringing it all out and leaving it all out. And uh, his mum and dad, they've kind of resigned themselves to the fact that through at least this next season of his life, season being probably the next 15 years, there's gonna be stuff everywhere. That the idea of having your home featured on the cover of uh, Better House and Gardens is not gonna happen. Uh, because there's stuff everywhere. That, that maybe just the goal is to maintain some level of order. Now, some of you, your kids are no longer tree. They're older than that. You've passed through the Toymageddon phase of your house, but maybe you're into the Laundrygeddon phase. Maybe just you're that sort of family, you're in that season of life where just when you finished uh, cleaning, hanging out, picking, folding, you don't even bother ironing anymore. Putting away, you go back into the laundry and you can't even believe it that there is more dirty laundry than there was when you did the last batch. You just, and you've given up the idea of having laundry zero. You just committed this season of your life to holding ground. Maybe it's not toys and maybe it's not laundry, but what about relationships? You know, you, you watch the movie, You've, you've, you've seen the rom-com, you've, you've seen other people's schmaltzy Instagram posts about their growing love and, and how life is just, can't, couldn't possibly get any better, this relationship that I'm in, oh my gosh, our marriage. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm just struggling to keep this thing together. We're just, we're just struggling. We're just, our best is to maintain 
our ground in the relationship that we have. Maybe it's finances. You know, we teach about what we would consider the biblical approach to managing our finances, that we give, then we invest, and then we live off the rest. But some of you, this second step is at the moment way beyond your reach, that, that, that you maybe got the giving thing down, but then you have to quickly focus all of your attention and your skills and your household financial management to this idea of living off the rest, that just maintaining before we're even worried and, and, give it, and giving our, our, our resources to investing, you're just holding your ground. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's even your relationship with Jesus. You read your Bible about these biblical heroes that conquered things and did great exploits for God and you see miracles happening in other people's lives. And, and for you, a good day is just that I, I remember to read my Bible today. Well, if that's you in any area or areas of your life where, where your, your commitment is just to try and just stand where you are, then this series is for you. And Paul, the heavyweight champion of the early church, wrote a letter to a church in a place called Ephesus. And you can open the Elevate app, you can tap the Bible. It's gonna take you to the final chapter of that letter, chapter six. And it's actually gonna take you to verse 12. And we started a little bit of this last week. We started talking about the devil last week. And I know in my uh, 20 something years as a professional Christian, I have met many, many, many people who claim to be followers of Jesus who actually don't believe the devil is real, who actually don't believe that he exists or if they believe he exists, they don't believe he's such a bad guy, such a threat. And I say to them, well, how is it that the same Bible that you read that tells you that Jesus rose from the dead also tells you that the devil is very real? How is it that you can believe that and you can't believe that? They're both in there. And, and Paul made it very clear that we, that we have an enemy. He's called the devil. In fact, Paul said it this way in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but actually against the rulers, the, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have an enemy, his name's the devil. And he spends his time scheming of ways to take you out. In fact, Jesus said that his job description is, is, is that he spends his time looking at ways to steal, to kill and to destroy those who are following Jesus. He wants to steal the promises that God's put in front of you. He wants to kill the dreams and the vision that God's given you. And Paul outlines that it is possible that whilst the devil may try to take you down, that he will not be successful in taking you out. You can become bulletproof, but there's a few things that you need to do. You've got access to some stuff, but you need to actually utilise it some essentials to make you bulletproof. 6th of June, 1944, the British, American and Canadian Allied forces launched an offensive they called Operation Overlord. Now, looking back in history, Operation Overlord has now become known as D-Day. 
The thing about Operation Overlord, let me bone you up on, uh, let's show, show you, bone you up on a little bit of World War II history. This inset map will tell you, here's England and here's the northwest section of France. And so just the English Channel, which allegedly is swimmable. In fact, by the way, two years ago, one guy did the English Channel butterfly. <laughs> um, yeah. 6th of June, 1944, prior to that day, the Allied forces, which included Russia at the time, they were fighting the German and their allies. They were fighting them over on the Russian front. The Allied forces had invaded through Sicily into Italy, but the German forces were holding the line there. And so the Allied forces calculated that if they could actually take this beachhead at the northwest section of France over here, that it would force Germany to have to spread its resources even thinner. They would actually have to take resources from the Russian front and bring them over to the now newly taken front over here in northwestern France, which would give the Russian forces an advantage. It would also dilute the German forces. So they launched Operation Overlord with the, with the sole mission of capturing this stretch of beach uh, in the northwest of France. On 6th of June, 1944, they launched Operation Overlord, the largest amphibious invasion in recorded history and the largest naval assault on any one day in, in, in uh, war history. Here's some numbers from Operation Overlord. On day one, the Allied forces sent in, on day one, June 4th, June 6th, 1944, on day one, the Allied forces sent in 10,000 troops. On day one, of which 4,413 of them died on that day. One day. Over the course after that, this operation continued. 156,000 troops were deployed, 10,250 Allied force casualties, blood shed, people dying. Uh, three weeks into Operation Overlord, the Allied forces did indeed take that beachhead. Late June, 1944. However, the war wasn't over then. They took this beachhead through a lot of blood that was shed, but it wasn't until 1945 that the ultimate victory was claimed. This precipitated the victory. Had this not happened, it's likely the victory wouldn't have come. The blood that was shed here precipitated a victory that was claimed later on. Jesus, when He died on the cross, He shed His blood for you and I. And in that moment, on that day, He defeated sin and He defeated death. But until we go to meet Him or He comes to meet us, whichever one comes first, I'm good either way. Either He comes or I go, I'm good either way. We live in the in-between. 
We live in the victory has been precipitated. The blood has been shed, but we live in the place on this earth where, where, where the ultimate claiming of that victory has not taken place. That there is, a, there is an enemy that still roams between the, 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 the Operation Overlord and the ultimate end of the war. They lived in the in-between and we live in the in-between. And once you understand that, a whole lot of things start to make sense. That's why some of life is such a flippant struggle because we've got an enemy. He's defeated, but he didn't want you to know he's defeated. And he's gonna keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. And the good thing is that we've been made bulletproof by God. He's given us both the protection that we need to stand firm against the enemy. <laughs> and this is the bit I like. He's also weaponized us. He's given us weapons. But what we have to do is we have to actually access them and use them in the manner in which they're intended. No point just having them lying off to the side on the ground. They ain't gonna do you any good and you're gonna be totally exposed. So Paul says, put on all the gear. These tools of protection and these weapons put on all the gear. Don't just select your favourite parts. Don't just select the easy parts, put on all the gear. And he starts to unpack that. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And now if you've done everything to stand, or the message says it slightly differently, take all the help you can get, every weapon, all the gear, all the weapons God has issued so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. When the devil's come at you with everything he's got, you'll still be on your feet. When you've yet to go to be with Jesus or he's come to be with you in physical form, you'll still be on your feet. The devil's gonna come at you. You put on all the gear, you take up every weapon, you'll still be on your feet. Now, it's a pretty exciting time of the year for me. It's nearly NFL season. And I flippin' love NFL. Now I get it, if you don't understand it, you probably don't like it. I understand it, I love it. I love it, NFL. But it's an expensive sport, it's a bit complicated as far as all the gear goes. You know, swimming, swimming. I'm gonna take up swimming. What do I need? Togs, goggles, good. I'm gonna take up jogging. What do I need? Shoes, shorts, and if you're a chick, a top. I'm good. American football, let me show you a gear list in American football. Okay, you need a ball, duh. You need a helmet, but not just a helmet, you need a helmet that's also got a face guard. Now you need shoulder pads and you need the shoulder pads that are on the front and on the back and you, you probably need some arm pads depending on your position, chest protector. You probably need a rib pad, again, depending on your position, but it's, it's there. Maybe some elbow pads, uh, maybe uh, some, some hip pads, maybe a, uh, a tail, uh, Pad, maybe some knee pads, the offensive and defensive linemen. They probably also have some fingerless gloves. There's also the thigh pads, which slip into your um, uh, uh, tights. Call them tights, it just doesn't sound very American footballish, but anyway. And then, uh, well, this diagram calls them studs. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're called cleats. But anyway, if you wanna put a stud on, you know, whatever. 
floats your boat. This is American football. This is all the gear. And, and, and the idea is if you're gonna go out and play American football against other people, they will have all of this on. And so you would have to be the village idiot to not put on all the gear. In fact, there's an expression, there's a name for people who play this sort of game and don't put on all the gear. They're called rugby players. <laughs> Throwing just a little bit of subtle shade on Americans there. But if you miss a piece, that's where you're vulnerable. There's a call at the moment with concussions in, in American football to, to go back to the days where there's no face mask. You know, that's fine, but there's still some guy coming throttling at you with a big flipping helmet on. You gotta put on all the gear and the bit that you miss is the bit that you're vulnerable. You understand? Well, Paul in his day, American football hadn't been invented then, but the Roman army, they were doing pretty well and they were getting busy conquering new lands and expanding the Roman Empire. And so Paul, instead of talking about American football, Paul talked about the, the armour that the Roman soldiers would have been wearing and would have been expected to wear. And so here's a diagram of what that would have looked like. And he didn't have to put up a diagram on his PowerPoint display. He would have just said, put on the full armour of God like the Roman soldiers and people would have been, well, they would have known because they probably walked past one today. And, and, and he goes through a list of the armour that's available and used every bit of it by a Roman soldier. And he draws a metaphor from this picture of what it means for us as followers of Jesus to be living in this in-between. That Jesus has won the victory, but until we see Him face to face, we don't claim the full extent of that victory. We're still facing an enemy. Now in the Roman Empire, there was two types of deployment. One type of deployment is where a troop would be sent, a soldier would have been sent to the, to the front line in some part of the, the Roman Empire with the mission of conquering more ground, taking more ground, expanding the Roman Empire. And as a church, by the way, we, we, with our team and our team leaders, we've started drilling into that. That, that the 100 people that God has pulled together as Elevate Church is fantastic. God bless Him and God bless every one of you. But, but here's the thing, there's more people that God wants us to reach that don't yet know Jesus. And so he's, He hasn't just sent us to sit around and get to know each other's middle names and birth dates and, and, and favourite desserts. He's called us to be put out in the front lines to conquer new grounds. And to do that, we're gonna need the full armour of God. With the Roman Empire, you, you were either sent on the front line or you were deployed to a part of the Roman Empire that had already been conquered. And your job was to, to be a part of the, the, the Roman army in that part of the empire to stand the ground, to hold the ground. Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, is talking about the second type of deployment, that, that Jesus has conquered ground for you and for me. Jesus has claimed promises for you and for me. And the devil wants to take them back. Jesus has actually taken your life, your eternal future from the devil and taken it to himself so that you and I will spend eternity with him. The devil wants you to give that up. The devil 
wants to take it back. Jesus has actually started to work on some mindset, some way that you used to think and you've made progress on that. You used to tell yourself lies. I can stop this anytime I want. And Jesus started working with you and empowering you by His grace to break that habit. You maybe grew up with some lies, people telling you lies. Paul is saying that while we are following Jesus, we can stand our ground and not lose the ground we've already gained. And he starts to unpack the full armour of God. And over these next four weeks, we're gonna break this down piece by piece, outlining what it is, and outlining how to use it. Let me start with the belt of truth. Now, if you're a part of a gym or if you've ever been a part of a gym, over in the squat rack area of the gym, there'll be one or more of these types of things. When I started attending a gym 20 some years ago, these were called kidney belts. It was kind of weird. There was this misconception that if you're doing some heavy squats, you better wear one of these because if you don't, when you get into a deep squat, your kidneys will just explode out the back. Now, I've never seen that happen, but that's, that's, they were called kidney belts. That's not what they're for, and so they don't get called kidney belts anymore. People have become a little bit more educated about what happens in the bottom of a deep squat. Anyway, no departing kidneys. What it actually, is just called a lifting belt now. And, 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 and it actually gives support to your midsection. It actually means when you're underweight, when, when you're under pressure, you will have access to even more stability than you would otherwise have access to if you just tried to do it in your own strength and in your own power. That, that there is a belt that you can put on that makes you ultimately stronger. Well, in the case of, Paul's metaphor about the full armour of God, he calls it the belt of truth because he understood that truth strengthens your life. You ever thought about that? Truth strengthens your life? Well, let me take it from the opposite point of view. Have you ever thought about how lies can destabilise your life? Think about a friend, someone you trusted, and, and, and you, you can think about this because someone will come to mind. Someone you trusted in your past and you found out they were telling lies either to you or about you. And the lies and the telling of the lies destabilised your relationship. I guarantee you can think of someone. Well, what about you, you're making a case for something? It was cold a few weeks back. In our Elevate group, one of our peeps said, oh, what you do is you put on a beanie and, and it keeps your, your, your body temperature warmer. And I just heard a study uh, that said that that's actually a myth. It's not true. And a few days later, I was at home and I was flipping freezing, like, and I'm pretty tight. I don't put on the heater. So I'm freezing and, and I'm trying to stay warm in my own strength. And I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I should put on a beanie. I put on a beanie and, and, and my body temperature magically climbed about 10 degrees Celsius within seconds. In my case, that I was claiming was all truth, beanies suck, beanies are just a fashion statement, was undermined by the fact that it's actually a lie. They keep you warm. Lies and deceit create instability. In fact, Jesus called the devil the father of lies. It's a pretty big statement to make. 
But when you understand the origin of the devil, this makes perfect sense. The devil was an angel named Lucifer in heaven, swimming and floating around and cherubiming with other angels. And one day he had a genius idea that he wanted to make himself like God. And God said, I don't do equals. And so God cast him out. And from that day, the devil has spent every single day trying to discredit the nature and the character of God. There was no lies in heaven before the devil was cast out of heaven. And it was only when the devil was cast out of heaven that the first lies started. And Jesus said, yeah, that's the source of lies. Not just the source of lies in your life, the source of lies in all eternity. He's the father of lies. He created invented lies. He's the liar and he's gonna keep on lying. And a lie that goes unchallenged will become a truth you live by. A lie that goes unchallenged will become a truth you live by. And you know this because some of you grew up being told that you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And you got told that and told that and told that. And until some point that God intersected your life with the truth, you started living by the lie that you were told and it had become truth for you. You're not pretty enough. You're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. Or there's the lies we tell ourselves. I can do this all by myself. I can do this all in my own strength. I can stop this anytime I want. This isn't hurting anybody else. And a lie that goes unchallenged will become a truth you live by. And so Paul says, put on the belt of truth, put on God's truth and make God's truth the truth you live by. And if you put on the belt of truth, God's truth and make that the truth that you live by, it will make you stronger. It will make you more stable. And then, and then when lies come your way, when lies come at you, when you get lied to by the devil, you will be able to stand, stand with more stability. Make sense? The belt of truth. And that's why we are so big on getting into God's Word. Not Mark's Word, not Louis's Word. God help us, not Neil's Word. No, God's Word. And we go for it. When, and when I say, hey guys, open the Elevate app and tap the Bible, some of you go, yeah, well, you're, only, you're gonna put it on the screen anyway. Why should I even bother? I know I'm gonna put it on the screen. I flip and made the slides. You think I'm an idiot? No, I'm not. I want to get you guys in the habit of physically getting into your Bible. Oh, I didn't know the Bible was in the Elevate app. Good, that's why we're showing you. Oh, where can you get a Bible? In the Elevate app. Oh, I don't even know where to find a Bible. In the Elevate app. Oh, that sounds easy. Tomorrow with our e-update, we're sending out a plan, a, a five-day Bible reading plan by Priscilla Schreira called The Armour of God. And for, and for five days, this series is five weeks. So if you're just at the basic end of reading your Bible, read it one day a week for the three and a half minutes it's gonna take you to log off Facebook and open up the app. The other book, And if you're not on our update, get on our app, tap the next step button 
sign up for our e-update. It'll take you about, oh, I don't know, 17 seconds. And you will be included in that list and get the Bible reading plan, The Armour of God, tomorrow. We're sending that out because, guys, we want you to put on the belt of truth and live with that belt of truth around your waist every single day. Not because you, then you can say, oh, I'm a good Christian, I read my Bible today. No, that you can have lives of stability, that you can stand strong with the belt of truth firmly around your waist. As the devil comes at you, you'll still be standing when it's all over. But the shouting, am I shouting? Good. And then he talked about the breastplate of righteousness. This may be akin these days to this very befitting bulletproof vest. And it's a very critical part of the armour. It's all critical. That's why Paul said put on all the gear. But this is critical because it protects your heart. And I'm gonna tell you why that's important. But he called it the breastplate of righteousness. And this word righteousness, it's a bit of a churchy word. I get it. I do churchy, okay? I didn't make it up, but let me, let me unpack it for you. It's very simple, by the way, when you know what it means. It simply means that, that someone who is righteous or called righteous, it means they are in right standing with God, in right relationship with God. And the picture is this, that you and I, before we submitted our lives to Jesus, before we gave our lives over to Him, asked for His forgiveness. We were living apart from God because that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. We don't have a relationship with Him. And Jesus, who died on the cross, who shed His blood, made that relationship possible. And when we said to Jesus, I wanna follow You, I wanna make You my Lord, guess what? Our sins get forgiven. We get made a brand new creation and we are now in a right relationship with God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. He has made us right with God. And from that moment, we are called right with God. We're called righteous. But we have to live with that breastplate of righteousness on. We have to live with that mentality. While we don't and cannot do anything to earn being called righteous. It's because we are called righteous. Paul says to live in a manner worthy of the calling you've been given, that we start to live like someone who understands we are now in a right relationship with God. If you leave your job, you don't keep turning up to the same workplace every day. If you move house, you don't keep driving back to the same address every day. So here's the thing, when you get made a new creation because you submitted your life to Jesus, you, don't get, you shouldn't, and it makes no sense to keep going back to the old sin habits and sin patterns that you were a slave to before. You now, we now have a new master. Jesus, not sin, not old habits, not old mindsets. We're free from that, being made right with God. But we need to live knowing that. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, it's a pathway to freedom. Some, some uh, how many of you have been uh, kind of orbiting some form of church for over 30 years? Let's, let's, let's call it, okay, some, some, okay, good, yeah. Some heroes, that's a good word, like that, Neil. Some heroes. 
chances are, and I'm not throwing shade on anybody, but chances are at some moment in your 30 some years in, in church orbit, chances are, just kind of going on a hunch here, chances are you've heard it taught maybe once, maybe more than once, I don't know. Chances are, if I was a betting man, chances are you would have heard it taught that sin is a behavioural issue. Has anyone, anyone of our heroes been taught that sin is a behaviour? Okay, let me drop some breaking news today then that's gonna be freeing for you. Sin is not a behavioural issue. Sin is a relational issue. And at the root of sin is the devil trying to separate your heart from the heart of God. And that's why it's so important to guard your heart. The devil has been defeated And ever since you started following Jesus, he's put a whole lot of time and effort to try and convince you that he's not defeated and try to convince you that you're defeated. And if you don't guard your heart, that lie is gonna come in and it's gonna separate your heart from the heart of God. Sin's not a behavioural issue. It works itself out in behaviour, but it's at its core, at its root, a relational issue. We don't drive back to the old address. We don't keep turning up to the same old job. We don't continue to live like slaves to a sinful nature. We live free with our hearts connected to God because of what Jesus did and made that possible. Let me ask a question before we finish. I know you guys could look at this all day, but I got places to be. And the army wants their vest back. Um, <laughs> Let me ask a question. I've been talking about this freedom, talking about following Jesus, talking about putting your faith in Him, talking about a relationship with Him, talking about it being made possible, not because of you being so clever and earning it, but because of what Jesus did and making it possible. Most of you have made a decision to follow Him, but if you haven't, then right here, right now, I'm giving you the opportunity to say yes to following Jesus to say yes to making Him Lord, to say yes to leaving old ways of thinking, living, to being made right with God. And if you wanna make that decision today, for those of you that have never made that decision, I encourage you with everything I have to make that decision, to say yes to following Him today. Yes to putting your faith in Jesus today. For those of you that need to and wanna do that today, how about you just put your hand up, you're saying to Him, God, that's me today, I wanna follow you. When I see your hand, put it down. We're good, I'll pray for you just from up here. I'd really like to leave here without giving you that opportunity. 